0: amen amen I want to thank Corey for uh, stepping up and the rest of the praise team for uh, I know Kyle and Macy are out today and and uh, I know that uh, you'll be in prayer for them as their younger brother gets married this afternoon but um you know <laughs> I gotta laugh this morning um I've not, not done this before um and what I'm about to do is I'm about to preach a, a message, a sermon, on preaching a sermon. I've never done that before, but uh, I, I know that uh, God has given me something here for you. And, and um, I hope that you will listen with attentive hearts uh, that are open to the Holy Spirit, that uh, as the Holy Spirit speaks to you, that you would have the freedom to respond in Him. You know, preachers, they they go to school to learn about ministry. They study the Bible, they study theology, they study ethics, church administration, they study about missions and many other subjects. Those who plan to preach take courses in what's called homiletics, and it's the The science, if you will, of making sermons, of creating sermons. And so, learning to preach means being evaluated. Because every week, as I preach, I'm being evaluated on that. See, we've been journeying through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus wanted His message evaluated. He wanted it evaluated by the hearers that day, but He also wants us to evaluate His sermon. Because He wanted to achieve certain results with His Sermon on the Mount. And this morning we come to the concluding words of the Sermon on the Mount. We've been at least 17 or 18 or 19 weeks focused on the Sermon on the Mount. We've spent a considerable amount of time in this passage of Scripture. The words that many of us already consider familiar. I mean, when I was a kid, we used to sing little songs about our passage today. The wise man built his house upon the rock. You know that song? The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rock... Went. No, and the, rock, and the house stood firm. You're talking about the sand. Okay? It says the rains came down and the floods came up. Okay, yeah, you, you get the idea. Hopefully we know the scripture better than the song. (laughs) But familiar as they may be, we should never forget that they are profoundly serious. All eternity weighs in the balance. Read with me if you will. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 29. And Jesus said, Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine... And does not act on them. Will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And it fell and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words. The crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for this sermon. I pray that you would help us to fully understand what you are saying. Holy Spirit, guide us in all truth. Holy Spirit, I ask that even now you would examine each of our hearts. And show us where we truly are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I have a culinary illustration for you this morning. You know, Hollandaise sauce is a very temperamental sauce. It's a sauce that if it's made right, you can make several other sauces from it. Like Bernays sauce, or Maltese sauce, or Chiron sauce, or there's other sauces that come from that one. So if you make it well, you can make several other sauces from it. But it's very temperamental. And I remember years ago, I was asked by my boss, the chef at the time. He had shown me how to make hollandaise correctly. How to make it properly, From scratch. And so he wanted me to share that information with some of the other cooks that were there in the kitchen, and he asked me if I would do a demonstration for them. And, and uh, he, you know it, it's uh, it's kind of like an independent child. I told I you know I said I can do this myself. You know, and um, he emphasized to me he reiterated that the clarified butter, when you add it to the the, the warm egg mixture and you're whisking it vigorously, you have to add it very, very slowly. Otherwise, it won't emulsify like it's supposed to. And my comment to him was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been my experience over the years when people say that, yeah, 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 I got it. They don't have a clue what you're talking about. I said, yeah, 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 I got it. Anyway, there were several people were watching me make the hollandaise. And I'm, I'm there and I'm whisking it. And I arrived at the spot where you're supposed to drizzle the fat into the hot mayonnaise to create this mul- emulsification. And I poured it in too fast, causing my hollandaise to break or basically causing it to separate into its components. I learned a hard lesson that day. I learned what the expert, I heard what the expert had told me, but I didn't do what he said. And I ended up looking like a fool. See, I I have relived that countless times in many other areas in my life. Where somebody told me exactly what I needed to do. To fix the car, to fix the water heater, to fix the washer or dryer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never ends up good. I heard what the expert told me, but I didn't do what they said. And I ended up looking like a fool. Has that ever happened to you? Where somebody gave you good advice and you knew it was good advice and you heard it, but that's not what you did. There isn't anything wrong with your ears. They hear perfectly well. You heard the advice perfectly and even you even understood what it was that you were supposed to do. The real problem was your will. You didn't do what you heard to do. In this passage, we look at verse 24. And we take a look at the word there that says, therefore. This word points our attention back to all that Jesus has said to us in his sermon. It's just lights coming on, folks. Or off. Don't let the enemy distract you from what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you today. So this word points back to everything that Jesus has said in his Sermon on the Mount so far. All of those things we love, the Beatitudes and and, and, and all of the teaching that he's given. He says, therefore, and he's saying, all of that was said so that you could hear this. Therefore, and he marks that as concluding remarks, what he is about to say After all that he's already finished saying. And Jesus even makes it very clear to us when he says, Therefore, whoever hears these words of mine. Whoever hears these words of mine. See, before we go any further, we need to just pull the truck over and stop there and make a couple of observations. First... We should notice how this shows us the whole context of these words. The context is the whole sermon. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew. The whole context is the whole sermon, not just bits and pieces of it. See, one of the great traps that we fall into with the Sermon on the Mount is we like to pick out parts that we like and we like to leave the parts we don't like. And what he's saying, he's saying, therefore, whoever hears these words of mine, and he's putting it all in context so that we can't ignore the parts that we don't like. We have to take the good with the bad. We have to take all of it together. And Jesus is calling us to put into action what he has said. Second, we should... Notice how this shows us the vital relationship with himself that's involved in these words. He says, therefore, whoever hears these words of mine. In my Bible, these are all in red. And the word mine is capitalized. Meaning, it's Jesus. Who hears these words of mine He's very specific in that. In fact, in the original language, the word translated of mine is in the emphatic position that it could be no one else's words except Jesus's. He is stressing that the relationship these words have to himself, they are his words and he cannot be separated from them. And this is very important because many people have admired Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. They they view it sometimes as a teaching of pure system of ethics in in an abstract sense. That one can be drawn from and apply these to their life apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Probably one of the most famous individuals to attempt to do this was the great Russian novelist Tolstoy. Count Leo Tolstoy. He sought to build his life around the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount, but without having a personal relationship by faith with the one who gave them. And Jesus says, therefore, whoever hears these words of mine, he's connecting himself to it and he's showing it that it's the whole thing, that it's all encompassing. I love that. He reached, Tolstoy reached the end of his life and he was frustrated and felt like a failure. See, other people have attempted to do the same thing. To separate the teachings, the ethics from the person of Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you today, that cannot be done. You see, righteousness... Righteousness is a gift of God's grace that comes through a personal relationship by faith with Christ. That righteousness that we have is imputed to us from Christ. It's not our righteousness. It's not our works. It's the finished work that Christ has already done on the cross that he completed for you and me. And we receive that through faith in him by grace. See... That, comes to, that grace comes to people who Jesus says, I know you. I don't want to be that guy that cries out, Lord, Lord. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and acts on them. See, many people simply won't read their Bible. And they won't read their Bible because they want to say things like, you know, it, it isn't interesting to me. Well, that can't be the case because they spend their time doing a lot of things and reading a lot of things that are far less interesting than the words of the creator of the universe. I mean, look at the dribble, look at the junk that people put their time and energy into. I mean, Facebook and other things that just just roll, roll, roll right along. I mean, the God of the universe is speaking to us through his word. Oh, it's interesting. We got to desire him, though. Or maybe sometimes people will say things like they don't read the Bible because it's too hard to understand. I don't believe it. You know, it's like people will spend hours studying complicated tax information. Or they will spend hours with an instructional, instruction manual on how to operate some kind of complicated computer software. Oh, just too hard to understand. Some people say I can't read the Bible because I just don't have time. But they spend lots of time for other things that are a lot less important than God's word. See, I've come to this conclusion. The reason people don't, the reason who, that people who know don't read their Bible is they don't do so because it's dangerous to read God's word. It's dangerous because it demands that you do something with what you've read. You have to obey it. You have to apply it to your life. And the truth presented to us in God's word is not simply and merely to be read. It must be put into practice. It must be acted upon. You know, the Apostle John said this. He said, if we say that we have fellowship with him and... Walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. It means to be practiced. We have to practice God's word. He also said, he who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. These are people that walked with Jesus that said this. What about James? James says this. The Lord did not speak the words in this Sermon on the Mount in order to give us pretty sayings or or quotes to be admired. He didn't see that we needed some nice words to hang on on the wall in our office or to put on coffee mugs. It's not why he taught the Sermon on the Mount. He took the Sermon on the Mount so that we would put it into practice. See, once we hear these words... We make ourselves fools if we don't do what they say. Jesus persuaded people to listen and to obey his sermon. And there was two kinds of responses that result from a preacher's sermon. The first one is some people only listen to the sermon. They hear the words. They observe the structure. Hmm, There's some points in there. They hear the, enjoy the illustrations, and they understand the logic. But they go no further than that. They've come, they understood, and they left. The second type of people, some people both listen and obey. And Jesus compared this person. The one who hears and the one who does. The one who acts upon it. The one who obeys, as a wise builder who built his house on a rock. And Jesus wants people not only to listen to the sermon, but also to do what it declares. But understand this Jesus presented people with choices, Jesus wasn't a manipulator. He was unrestricted in his presentations. He was honest when he spoke about the choices about building on the sand or building on the rock. And of course, information is not enough for Jesus. He also used direct persuasion because he depicted a picture of two people, two builders. One building on the sand and the other building on the rock. Psalm 127, verse 1. Says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. (laughs) See, with this indirect story, Jesus forced the people into the agony of a decision. They had to decide. sermons, they present choices and they cause people to be caught in the tensions of decisions. I mean, Jesus portrayed the results of the right response. With one line, Jesus gave a test to a person's choice. And the rains descended and the flood came. Inevitably, A person's life will be tested by the storms of life. Your life will be tested by the storms of life. If your life is being tested right now, say boy howdy with me out loud. Boy howdy. Right? If your life is being tested by life storms, those storms that come in, the testing comes in temptations. The testings come in loss. The testings come in persecution. You see, Jesus, He exposed the instability of the sand. The person who built on the sand... Lost. The house did not stand. It says there, and great was its fall. See, people who hear, excuse me, people who build on the sand, they hear the gospel and they choose to save themselves. They hear the gospel and they believe the general message, but they choose to follow God. On their own terms. To them his word is open to interpretation. If he commands them to do something, they will obey if they choose to. But if they don't like it, I'm not going to do it. See, they build their house of their lives on self-will. Self-fulfillment, self-sufficiency, self-satisfaction, and self-righteousness. Theirs is a works-based religion that has the appearance of being right, but it lacks the power to save the soul. Paul describes that kind of person like this. He says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such people turn away. You think they know but they don't do. See, people build on the sand because it's easy. It's easier. Just build it on the sand. Just get on with it. Well, it, just build it any old way you want. They build it on the sand because it's easy. It requires little effort. Oh, just a little change here and a little change there. Nothing radical. I don't want people thinking I'm a Jesus freak. Just a little bit. I just want a little bit. I don't want it to cost me too much. I don't want him in control of my whole life. Just a little part of it. See, even they fool themselves... And everyone else around them thinking that they are right with the Lord. A life built on the sand requires no commitment, no sacrifice, no faith. See, people who build on the sand believe they can pray a prayer, they can sign a card, they can join a church, and all will be well. People who build on the sand, they can turn it off. And turn it on like they're flipping a switch. And they can turn it right back on again. Sand builders ultimately have faith in themselves. You know what they say about the three most important considerations in real estate. Location, location, location. That's not just true about real estate. It's also true about life. See, Jesus, he exposed the instability of the sand, but he also described the immovability of the rock. When the storm came, the house built on the rock did not fall. In the testing times of life, authentic Christians have a faith that does not fail. The rock that was underneath the sand, but the foolish builder was satisfied to build his house on the sand, even... Though, if he had dug a little deeper, he would have come upon the rock. Now, this is the very point Jesus is making. He should have dug a little deeper and hit the rock and then built on it. If you turn with me to Luke chapter 6, verse 47, 48, and 49. Same sermon, different perspective, different eyewitness. Instead of Matthew writing, it's Luke writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And and he says Jesus' words this way. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock and when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the, the one who heard and has not acted accordingly is like the man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and it, immediately it collapsed and the ruin of that house was great. Notice something very important here. The foolish builder Jesus is describing is not someone who has no idea what God's word says. Jesus isn't contrasting those who go to church with those who don't. He isn't talking about those who read the Bible as opposed to those who don't. Both the wise builder and the foolish builder. They are described as people who hear these words of mine. They must be hearing his words. Both of them. Both of them hear the truth. Both of them know the truth. The difference between these two builders is that one of them acts on the truth and the other doesn't. That's the only difference. They are both sitting in the congregation. They are both hearing the word of God. They both know the word of God. But one of them acts on it and the other one doesn't. That's the difference between being wise and being foolish. That's what Jesus is saying. See, one of them practices the truth and the other one doesn't. One of them is changed by the truth and the other one is simply well-informed and educated about what the truth is. See, hearing the truth and not doing the truth is what Jesus calls a foundation of sand. We don't read God's word just for information like we would a newspaper or something else. We read God's word for transformation so that we will be transformed from the inside out so that we will become doers of the word and not just hearers only. And this is huge. When we hear God's word, We have a choice. We can be content to be well informed and educated. Or we can put it into practice. We can allow it to change our lives. But listen, your ability to weather the storms of life depends entirely on your foundation. Have you put God's word into practice? Are you doing what you've been taught? If you have not, then you will not be able to stand when the storms of life come, when the hurricane overcomes you. You will have no solid foundation upon which to stand. See, everybody in this room is building a spiritual house. Every one of us Is building a spiritual house. Every day we are attaching boards. We are driving nails. We are adding on rooms. Trying to improve our house. And regardless of what you do to the house. That you are building. What matters the most is the foundation. What's underneath it? What are you building on? Because if you're building on sand. And you're not building on the rock you're going to fall be sure you're building on Jesus Christ the rock see if you've realized today that you're building on the wrong foundation you can change today you can come to Jesus you can establish your house on the rock he will save you and Get you started building on the right foundation. And please do not ignore what I am saying today. Don't tune me out and say, well, I've already given my life to Jesus. Because if you're not putting it into practice. You're like the foolish builder building on the sand. And folks, there is a storm coming. There is a storm coming. And your house is in the crosshairs of that storm. Your house is in the path of that storm. And when the storm comes, the only houses that will stand are the houses that are built on the solid foundation of the word of God of Jesus Christ. I can't make it any plainer. But I don't want anyone here to be like the foolish builder. And just read it and hear it and think, oh, that's good, Ridge but I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing because it's easier. See, if you are on the wrong foundation, please, please come to Jesus today. So you've heard God's word. You've heard the words of Jesus that he gave to his followers that he taught them that day on the mountain. You've heard The question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about what you've heard? What will you change? This morning, I I offer an invitation. Our worship team is going to come in just a little bit after I pray. They're going to lead us in another song. And this, this song is the opportunity for you to respond to the Lord today. In this place. Maybe today you come for salvation. Maybe you say to him, I want to build my rock on Christ Jesus. I want to build my house on the rock of Christ Jesus. I need Jesus. Then you come. Maybe you're here and you come to dig a little deeper. Maybe you've been on the sand and you need to dig a little deeper and you want to be a doer of his word. And you say, I want obedience. I need obedience. That may look like baptism. That may look like something else. You know what it's going to take to be obedient to what God is putting on your heart. Maybe today you say you come to join this body at Memorial." I want to grow and build and be here with other believers. And you say, I need accountability. I'm just a a lone soul out here, and I need to be with brothers and sisters in Christ where I can serve together. Or maybe you're here this morning and you want to come to follow Jesus in full time ministry. I want to follow him in his kingdom work. I need availability see, I need Jesus, I need obedience, I need accountability, I need availability. If any of those speak to you this morning, then my invitation is for you to come. Don't put it off. When we begin to sing, you come. Let's pray together. loving father your word is very plain to us and father I I ask that you would forgive me when I haven't been all that I proclaim to be father when I fall short of your glory father I thank you for the blood of Christ That cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I thank you Holy Spirit for indwelling us. For guiding us into all truth. I pray Father that today as we have heard your word. That it would cut to the heart of our complacency. Of our desire to do the easy thing. Of our desire just to be a a casual Christian. Of our desire to water down the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, your word says that he who acts upon them. That implies that we must do something. That we must step out. That we must apply what we have heard. In order to build our house on the rock. I pray Father that every one of us would do that. That as you are leading us, as you are examining our hearts, as you are guiding us into all truth about ourselves. That that we would be obedient to you. Father that we would see where we fall short. That we would repent of that. And God that we would want To be like the wise builder. Father, we don't want to be thought of as a fool. By the world. Or more importantly, by you. And Father, on that day, we don't want to hear those words. Depart from me, I never knew you. So Father, I ask. That we would be drawn to you, that your Holy Spirit would save the souls of men and women, of sons and daughters whom you truly love. Father, guide us in this time. May it be a time of commitment. May it be a time where we are saved by you, Jesus. Where we recognize our need for you where we recognize our need for obedience, where we recognize our need for accountability and for availability. God, I pray that you would do something that only you could do in our lives today as we surrender our will to you, as we say, Lord, your will be done in my life, your will. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.